Welcome to the BIOS podcast by Elix Ventures. BIOS is a community of early stage healthcare and life sciences founders and investors. BIOS curates content, hosts events, crafts resources, and creates a community to facilitate collaboration. BIOS unites like-minded members of the startup universe and is anchored by Alix Ventures, a San Francisco-based venture fund that invests in early-stage healthcare and life sciences companies. To learn more about us, visit bios.community or alix.vc. Can you talk about the last company you were CEO at, Ability Network? You came in after the last private equity round. Actually, no. It, it was before when it was in venture stage. We were a series. You joined the board. Yeah. Joined the board. So Ability Network, uh, a company uh, that was founded in 2000, took a long slog to figure out its product market fit. 2011, new CEO, first time, came in, uh, reconstituted the board and did a, a Series C round. And with that, I started to work and get involved in the company. And, and then we did a recap, uh, and then after joining the board, four years later, became chairman and CEO. And Ability fundamentally it was really interesting because some of our you made a great impact in culture there guiding principles but what did we try to do we, we were a network so we had connectivity and, and then we said can we solve a customer's problem with workflows and by solving a customer's problem we were in the revenue cycle reimbursement area understanding how healthcare works is so important and understanding what problem we're trying to solve and the buyer persona who's using it how to approach them and we started at the bottom of the stack so clay christensen had always been a key uh, thought leader that i've spent time following and and focusing on and and making sure that as we understood what we did how we did it, but why did it matter? Then it was, how do you go to market? And our go to market in healthcare, we started at the bottom of the stack. The small nursing home, the small home health agency, the small physician practice, with basic needs of how can they manage their revenue cycle, get paid faster, have less rejections, less write-off, less errors. And Betty the Biller, the customer, could go home and work normal hours. And so it's really having that crisp focus on what you do, how you do it, why it matters, to who, and how you go to market. And go to market is such a critical part in healthcare. Ability, you created uh, a culture overnight there that really served as, as you mentioned, an underpinning mission, vision, values for the company. Can you talk about some of the concrete examples of how you brought that to life? Well, we, we, we had certainly a, a company that enjoyed success. It had gone through you know, not only a successful venture, but then growth equity, uh, investing and valuations. But at the same time, the, the unifying purpose of, of why we were there, and, and we distilled it down to simple words to help simplify complexity. And with that, 
the, the, the mission, the vision, the values, simplify complexity with innovative applications and workflows. We then built out our mission. We built out our values. We then created a campaign of training, explaining, you know, an offsite with the top leadership team of 60 people for two days, workshops, learning, a rollout of an internal and external campaign, the living, breathing, posters, desktops, rewarding peers who live and breathe the culture, a formal, if you will, go to market of a culture creation, just like you would launch a new product, launching a product, a culture as well. It's so critical to, to do that. So it's, it's deciding and defining, and it's building a strategy, just like you would in a product and go to market and it's executing it and it's owning it. it it's not a seminar or an email or a couple fancy posters it's a living breathing organism and culture to me is the underpinning of how a company navigates the best of times and the worst of times and a good culture can get you through that in recent years consumerism has emerged in healthcare decision making and Mark, you've previously mentioned before, this could create within healthcare a convergence of B2C and B2B business models. Could you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, consumerism is evolved in healthcare. You know, just stepping back, it, it, the, the four Ps that we all got taught in our intro marketing classes, product, price, place, promotion, in healthcare are very different. Those four Ps are patient, payer, provider, and product. And, and the patient has typically delegated decision-making to a cadre of providers and payers to act on their behalf. But because the consumer, the patient, is owning a bigger part of the spend because uh, data is getting a voice with leading and innovative companies because technology is making healthcare more accessible, telemedicine, wearables. You're starting to see the consumer, one, have to pay more, bigger premiums, high deductibles, and then two, the convergence of uh, technology, the availability of data, it's really empowered the, the consumer, the patient, if you will, to have a major say and impact on their health data. So you're, you're totally right. Patients have had increasing demands for the type of care when they want it. But it has also been argued that healthcare companies actually should not go direct to consumer because the dollars are all on the enterprise side. If money rests with the payers, hospitals, and pharma, and, and like, for example, payers still can control a lot of how healthcare is delivered, even if the patient has different expectations. So do you agree with this viewpoint that a company should still aim to, to be on the enterprise side? I, I don't think there's a uniform, one-size-fits-all answer. I, I think you've got to go back to what problem am I trying to solve and how will I do it and why does it matter? And matters to who? So buyer personas are so critical. 
I've got to understand my product, who the buyer is, how they'll use it, how will it be purchased, and what benefits I'm going to drive. And if those decisions lead you to B2B or B2C, I, I don't think you could have a preconceived notion up front. I can tell you that those companies that are going direct to the consumer, they have a whole different element of go-to-market. And not only is it a go-to-market spend, or their customer acquisition cost, their CAC ratio is really, really high. And secondly, you know, they face the ultimate measure of success is their long-term value, and they're getting killed by churn. So, you know, what does it cost you to get a, a consumer and what's the retention rate? Internally, going B2B, going direct to the healthcare uh, organization. You know, you, you, my experience is everyone wants the big client, major pharma, most prestigious medical, uh, ACO, academic medical center. Starting at the top of the stack is really, really tough to do. And now some larger ACOs have innovation departments or, or proven track records of how they'll partner with startups or newer stage companies. But many don't. And you could spend a lifetime of pilots and trials and legal documents just trying to get your foot in the door. And it's so complicated. So You've got to fit into the workflows of a healthcare organization, and, and starting smaller is critical. That uh, Silicon Valley, you talk about the workflows. Silicon Valley's largely failed in healthcare in the past because they've tried to bend workflows or push workflows rather than steer into the skin and work within current workflows of healthcare systems. Well, this notion that I'm going to disrupt current behavior, while it is oftentimes true in the consumer behavior or a lot of productivity enablement in the business world, day-to-day -day healthcare operations are very entrenched in workflows, and you've got to figure out how to fit in. So if you know what problem you're trying to solve, how you do that becomes so important. And that's getting into the work stream uh, and having a value proposition, better quality, lower cost, better outcomes. You know, so the cost benefit side of doing that. And for me, starting at the bottom of the stack and working your way up is so critical. And that disruption is, just something you've got to stay focused on. And I would encourage newer companies to prove the viability of their products first before trying to move up the stack into the enterprise. I think that's a perfect segue here into go to market. The healthcare industry is uh, quite notorious for having pretty difficult go to markets. Can you give us from an early stage founder perspective, kind of how they can set themselves up for success. It's making sure you really understand what problem you're trying to solve and 
how you're going to solve the problem. And so that's a very deep understanding of a buyer persona. And you've got to have just the reality in that. You, you can make up what you hope somebody will adopt, but if you haven't validated a keen understanding of the problem and how your offering will solve that problem, and a, and a very didactic definition of who the buyer is. So as specific, what door am I going to knock on to solve, to reach a buyer to solve the problem? And a, a knock on the door is in person, it's visual, it's social media, it's email, it's digital marketing, whatever the it is. But if, if you don't know the buyer persona, and how your product solves their problem, then I think you're gonna really struggle. So go to market is having rigorous detail, not only understanding of what your product does, but how it's gonna work and benefit and create quality or cost improvements and the buyer persona. And I think a lot of startups I've seen are missing that deep dive on buyer persona. And then there's a whole discussion of how you reach them and how you go to market. And in the business of buyer persona and what problem are you trying to solve? How do you fit into workflows? There's a lot of testing and learning. So you've got to be willing to fail fast, learn fast, modify, but you have to keep wired on who that buyer is and what their needs are and how your product will solve their problem. And then that's very clear, demonstrated and hard dollar return on investments Better cost, better quality, effective outcomes. So po post investment here at Alix, company has some solid fundamentals, assembles a product market fit, and it's now your job to help put the gasoline on the fire. Can you talk about scaling operations from zero to Fortune 500 to kind of what you've seen the, the, the whole range of the spectrum there? What is your framework for scaling operations and how do you think about that? Well, it, it's after you've proven that you've got a product that solves a problem and you know how to reach the buyer. Then it's understanding talent because you, know, you win with people and then the processes. And, and in scaling, to me, if you've got the product and the people right, then the process of how you go about doing things. So I break it down very simply. You, you've got two or three strategic imperatives in either functional areas or enterprise-wide, depending on the size or complexity of your organization. Those strategic imperatives, those SIs, if you will, all have metrics, so KPIs. And it's very simple. It, you know, are we red, yellow, or green? So if, if I have a mission, and I know what my product is, I know how it's gonna be used, and I know why it matters, 
that I've got a keen understanding of buyer persona and fitting in the workflows. So I'm starting to see adoption. I'm always evolving and focusing on my talent. And that is so critical to get that right. And then I've got to lay in the processes. And from a process, you've run companies that are tens of employees to tens of thousands of employees. Can you talk about the differences at headcount, what processes look like? It's really not different. It's the discipline of I'll make sure I've got a a mission and what I do, how I do it, why it matters, never changes. I'm maniacal about talent and, and making sure as companies get bigger, how you're assessing talent and are they a major impact on achieving our goals? Are they an A player that I empower, a B player that I inspire, or a C player that I replace? But that discipline on talent and then processes. And if the process is there's three founders sitting around a table, or there's 300 or 3,000 or 30,000, it's each team has strategic imperatives. They've got KPIs on how they're measuring their progress on that imperative. And then their objective about are we red, yellow, or green? And, and then it's continuous improvement and willingness to make change and learn from success and accelerate or pivot from failure, but again, being objective. And what I've found, a lot of companies have the product, they're, they're building out the talent, they evolve in how good and how capable the talent is, so scaling, but they lack the process by which they're going to achieve their mission and empower their people. So you're talking then about strategic imperatives, SI, KPIs. How do you go about, before you even do a diagnostic of where you are with them, fundamentally identifying what those are? Well, you, 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 you drive from purpose. So what is our mission, our product? Again, what is it, how it works, and why does it matter, and to who? And, and then the people who are involved in bringing that to life, talent, but, but processes are the same, no matter what the size or the purpose or mission of a company. And having the discipline of making sure you're layering in processes to achieve your mission and empower your talent is so important. We at Alix, instead of strategic imperatives, I like to affectionately call them KISMs. Keep it simple, stupid metrics. And it's really the two to three things, as you mentioned, that you do and do well continuously. They become a rising tide. And rising tides float all boats. Everything else rises with it. One of the things we, we joke is sales cures all. No one's ever drowned in sales. And that's really it provides optionality. While you have a lot of things you have to do to keep sales and to keep processes and hire, uh, you have revenue as an optionality driver for sure. So definitely concur with what you're saying and how to kind of build out frameworks to get those. And it's a ruthless honesty you have to be with yourself about where you are and your purpose. 
identifying that first, but also then saying the metrics within that to sustain it. So where should founders go for pilots and specifically what customers, so integrated health systems, including Kaiser or academic medical centers, community hospitals or small systems, ACLs, VA, there's so many different types of providers. Who makes the best partner for a pilot? So it's, it's starting with what my product does and how it works and why it matters and then buyer personas. That's going to lead you to a site and a size of care analysis and conclusion. Underserved markets are easier to get traction with and get started because they are needing help. Oftentimes, no one's calling on them or caring about them because they're not that, you know, on a website logo marquee account. But you can prove that stuff works in smaller sites of care. And you can learn hands-on. As you move up the stack, you're perfecting go-to-market. And you're proving that your products work. You're then being able to go to more complex organizations, larger sites of care. The, the maybe exception to that is if a very big ACO you know, has a well-defined track record of innovation and experimenting and working with startups, and they can help you navigate the internal complexity that might be an exception, but you've got to be objective about how you get started to prove that your product actually solves a problem and it matters. So it, it sounds like the most important thing is to find a pilot site that has the biggest need. But I feel like a lot of companies instead try to go for brand or go for for KOLs because they think that can then help drive adoption down the road. So do you, it sounds like you, you think this could be a mistake. Again, I think that if the brand, if you will, you know, the big ACO, the most prestigious organization has a really good innovation track record and professional sure. and competency that they can help that new idea get traction without the bureaucracy of bidding in a large, large enterprise, then maybe going for the prestige is interesting or possible. But I have watched so many startups try to get, if only I get the brand name Top 10 Pharma or the Top 10 you know, ACO or Academic Medical Center, then the goal, the road will be paved with gold, and it's usually around. I can get the best customer names. I'll get the best fundraising. I'll get the best valuation. Brand, 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 brand. But, but if you can't ever prove that you built something that solves a problem and matters to somebody, all of that's going to just eventually be worthless quite frankly. So I think you've got to be, as a startup founder, grounded in proving that the product I have solves a problem. 
Yeah, I, I think there are some of these larger organizations that have tried to be innovative and, and test out all these different innovative solutions. But at the end of the day, they just move so slowly and it's so difficult to run a lot of these pilots because integrating into a large IT system is extremely costly and very slow. And even at a big, as, as you say, a, a big ACO that might try to, to help out on this end, it still feels like it, it's incredibly difficult. At Ability Network, we built our company on the underserved markets and proving that our our applications, our connectivity, our workflow tools, our analytical tools in RevCycle and in quality worked. And we could deliver tangible results. We proved that we understood buyer persona. We had to get more sophisticated as we went to market. We went from an all digital marketing over the phone, over the web. We started to add enterprise salespeople with more complex sales, bigger size, longer lead times, some in-person meetings and channel partner relationships. But you really had the confidence as well as the profitability and cash flow to fund those investments because you prove that your product works, delivers a result, you knew how to reach that market, you could do it in a very cost-effective way, high gross margins, high operating profit, good free cash flow. Whereas the opposite of, it is so expensive to fund the top of the stack. I mean, you've got startups that are, you're spending tens of millions to reach that most prestigious company or pharma partner that may take years to get traction with, and that's very difficult. So thank you for joining us, Mark. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on the podcast and for you to share your many lessons of leadership. It's been a delight to hear, uh, and I'm sure our listeners will be very excited and ready to get to the, the grindstone here to put some of those uh, into action. To close things, can you talk about, as a healthcare executive, kind of what is some of the advice you would give to founders looking to make a big, big impact uh, these days? I would tell them the focus on fundamentals, the, the focus in narrowing your scope that you have a product that solves a problem. I would tell them it's the best of times to be in healthcare, be a founder, be a new fund, and the best is yet to come. I, I would also say during this time of crisis, patience on the ramp is critical and being grounded in runway, both cash raised and expenses and management of those two critical things. So you have the time to demonstrate your prospects. And when you get these fundamentals right, as you just said, the sky's the limit and more importantly, the impact on patients comes full circle. What you can do to make a difference in this world 
And in healthcare, like anything, it's what's possible, but it's so satisfying that you truly have transformed somebody's prospects and life because of what you're doing. Thank you, Mark, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the BIOS podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For more content, please visit bios.community or alix.vc.